Welcome listeners to the 13th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper legacy. My name is Victor Bernhards. With me today are co-hosts and powerful wizards, Robin Svensson and Christopher Wikström. As always, the very best of welcome to you, dear listeners. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Stockholm Legacy Report can be found every week on the Top Deck app. In today's episode, we will, as usual, talk about the paper legacy we've played since last week's episode. After that, we will open our binders and talk about breathing new life into older archetypes with new cards, as well as cards that perhaps could be looked at again. Finally, the Basic Land Connoisseur panel will convene to look at blue-black ninjas. Before we start, though, A shout out to Austria and the In Response podcast. In the latest episode, they unveiled the plans for the event Back to Magic 2022, which is a big paper Magic the Gathering event in Vienna, 25th February to 27th February of next year. Among other things, it will feature the Austrian Legacy Masters, which will have a guaranteed 5k the hosts of the In Response podcast will do the live coverage for this event, but I suggest you all do all you can to actually visit the event in person and then perhaps check out the commentary when you get back home. For further details, you can follow the at response underscore legacy on Twitter, where you can also follow the event hashtags, which are BTM22 and ALM22, which I guess stands for Back to Magic and Ocean Legacy Masters. You can also check out the event on Facebook. Look for Back to Magic 2022. Yeah, this looks super sweet. Good job. I'm very excited to see that. Didn't you also mention something about the metal band, Victor? Oh yeah, right, right. Uh, on the Saturday, they have booked a metal band as entertainment. So, I mean, if you scrub out, uh, you can always look forward to handbanging. That's metal. Yeah, let's let's hope that they have a really busted, you know, uh, card name as the band name, like a band name with a card, like Jester's Cap or you know, <laughs> Dark <something>. Ritual, <laughs> Necropotence, Hymdotorak. <laughs> you can just go through sort of, you know, 1996 Black Necro and <laughs> you know, five Hypnotic Spectre. <laughs> you go to Gatherer and search for black cards and all of them fit. Abyssal Prosk. <laughs> Drain Life. <laughs> Terror. <laughs> All the cards fit. That's a song list for the set. <laughs> okay, let's get down to business. Robin, how was your paper week? I had a good paper week. Uh, after being dabbling with band control, I switched back to Standstill and Sharks and Timeless Dragon. Uh, so that's what I've been playing this week. I'll give you a run through, through the deck list. So it's uh, three Timeless Dragons and three Shark Typhoons and one Snapcaster Mage. That's sort of the win package. Uh, Four Brainstorm, four Ponder, uh, four Standstill. And then there's four Swords to Plowshares, two Prismatic Endings, two Dress Downs and two Supreme Verdicts. Four Force of Wills, two Force of Negations and a couple of walkers, two Narsets, two Teferis, and one Jace, and 20 lands, of which two is Hall of Hilliard's Generosity, and a light red splash for uh, red elemental blasts and pyroblasts in the board. So that was what I was playing, uh, and I played three matches, one of them against Christopher, uh, who was on Aloran, 
and uh, that was uh, quite a battle, <laughs> I have to say. Two very close games, which I uh, ended up in defeat in both of them, but it was really close and really interesting. I, I think the the bug decks is a little bit of a problem for, for uh, non-green-white decks, so to say. Uh, Grist was giving me a lot of trouble, and uh, of course the the combo out of anywhere, which cannot also be dealt with pyroblast, uh, felt really strong. Yeah, uh, I I really I really thought that was some of the closest standstill matches that I've ever had uh, when playing Aluren, and I will get into that uh, when I go through my matches. But it it was super close, a lot closer than I'm used to. Yeah. Other than that, I played against uh, Miracles, and that was quite one-sided because. We are both like blue and white decks, but I have a much better late game. Um, both with the standstill and recursive standstill, but of course with the uh, shark every turn is really hard to deal with for miracles. And prismatic ending pull its weight to to remove counterbalance and that kind of permanent from the board. So that was very nice to see. And the, the final game was against blue-black uh, Tesserator featuring Antiquities War. Game one, uh, he overwhelmed me with uh, constructs and uh, five five artifacts out of all of his mana rocks. But in game two and game three, uh, I could board in my haymakers, uh, let alone energy flux, which I have been talking about on this podcast before, and could steal the game uh, with sort of locked pieces, uh, preventing him from playing magic. So that was pretty good. And uh, I must say, two main deck dress downs have been carrying its weight uh, good against uh, Ursa's Saga, of course, and uh, Karnstructs. It was good against uh, Aluren trying to go off. And uh, yeah, really strong card. And I, I will keep on playing that in the in the main deck for sure. Cool, cool. So Christopher, did you have another week where you won lots of matches? Yeah, I got some Ws uh, this week. And, uh, you know, I played against... Two opponents, and both of these opponents are in this podcast, so that's always a delight when you get to, you know, uh, ask um, how it felt from the other side of the table and like what impressions you got. Uh, so last week on the pod, I said that I would try Aluren, and uh, yeah, I I got my Aserax, so I sleeved up the deck and tried it. I'm not really sure about this deck list. Uh, as I've seen such a large variety of different ideas floating around. Uh, you know, there are Urian decks, there are some decks that feature Aserac quite heavily, some that just place Living Wishes and have one in the side. Uh, so it's, it's really uh, not, it hasn't found a, a definite uh, shape yet, like a definitive shape. Um, but I'm definitely going to try and uh, see if I can tweak this deck towards something that I really enjoy to play. The deck list looked like this. Uh, three Birds of Paradise, four Quattle, three Uro, one Acerorak, two Cavern Harpy, one Endurance, two Baleful Strix, two Grist, three Decay, two Liv- uh, three Living Wish, four Brainstorm, four Ponder, four Force of Will, four Aloran, uh, three Forests, Free Island, one Swamp, all Snowlands, one of each Bug Duel, and ten Fetches. The sideboard which you could get some some of the goodies with um, Living Wish included two Endurance, two Carpet, one Veil, 
one euro, which is a shout out to all of those people still trying to play Grixis or something like that. You just get the euro and bury them because they can't really handle one euro. Uh, then you play one Grist, which is just fantastic. Uh, Victor has played the Living Wish Grist decks and it's just very powerful. Uh, it's such an annoying card for blue decks to uh, have to combat. Two Fatal Push, one Acerarak, two Plague Engineer, one Brazen Borrower, and two Force Negation. So this deck list, it's, it's quite sweet. I tend to like to build my Aloran decks to be quite efficient, and playing Living Wishes is not something I love doing. But it's fine in this configuration, you know, getting Uro, Engineer, and Acerarak to just uh, sometimes win the game can be quite nice. The first match of the evening against the one and only Victor, who was on, drumroll, Urion Taxes. And I think Aluren generally plays quite well against Stefan Taxes. It's quite rare that I actually lose that matchup, especially since the printing of Grist. It's been pretty sweet. And sure, sure, <laughs> I play Plague Engineers. I'm not, I, I'm not the hero in this conversation. And uh, this version can also just tutor for them in game one with living wishes and reset them with harpies when you've killed all their humans. It's just a nightmare. But yeah, Victor, tell us about the, your experience playing against this deck. I mean, my experience playing against this deck, you know, on the one side, you can say like, this is a great case for banning Plague Engineer because it's just uh, it sort of totally demolishes uh, decks like Death and Taxes. But I mean, I won't say that because I think Plague Engineer is actually a very reasonable magic card. Uh, I mean, sure, it's one-sided, but I mean, again, like an Engineered Plague, when you play that card, uh, those decks, you wouldn't play humans if you put human. I mean, it's like the, the, the sort of the one-sidedness of Plague Engineer, I think, is overstated as a problem because in practice, I don't think it's never an issue. And it's a 2-2 two, two for 3 uh, and that's sort of, you can you can handle that in a lot of ways. And actually, in this version of D&T, one Plague Engineer in itself uh, isn't really a problem anymore because you have diversified the creature types so much. I mean, I often felt that you... The most creatures you were able to kill when casting a Plague Engineer uh, was two. However, the interaction with Cavern Harpy, when you have a Learning on the board, and also your knack for always drawing <laughs> cards so you can put two of your two Plague Engineers on the battlefield, that was challenging. I think two of the games that we played, I could have had a really good chance of taking down hadn't it been for the Plague Engineers. I mean, they really, really stopped my interaction because since you have a learn, of course, on the board, I can use that to my advantage as well because the, the Yorion Taxes deck is a very recruiter of the guard-based deck. Uh, and if I have recruiter of the guards, I can get what I want. I can get my Skyclave Apparations, uh, which I also play the full four of, of course, in that list. So so with, with the 80-card Yorion Taxes, I think the Aluren matchup is interesting. But then again, if you resolve double Plague Engineers, or if you get Plague Engineer with Coven Harpy Aluren, that's a very steep uphill uh, battle. Yeah, I think w one of the things that's... Uh might be you know one of the benefits of playing the urian build like you mentioned in this matchup you get to cast your recruiters for free and you get to get certain silver bullets that might kill the aluren or might sh like shut uh, harpy down but like one of the games where i did my uh, cabin harpy shenanigans 
it was uh, actually without the Aluren in play, where I just ha- I just played the Harpy uh, like on normal rate and picked up the Engineer and then replayed it. Because at, at the same time as it's a benefit to have a lot of silver bullets and, you know, being recruiter of the guard heavy, one other part that's a bit of a problem is your swords to plowshares gets a bit diluted in the deck. And when you're playing against uh, plague engineers, that that could be a problem. But still, like, it's, uh, you're strong, you might be stronger against the actual combo and you have diversified your your creature types, which makes uh, Plague Engineer a bit less powerful or a bit less of a Plague Wind. And so I definitely agree. And I think that, like, uh, I, I don't want to give, like, a faulty impression of this matchup. I think that you've gotten a lot of good tools also, you know, with Skyclave and uh, such. That you can just eat Grist, eat Engineer or eat Aluren. So yeah, I think that's uh, that's very powerful. Yeah, I think um, one thing about the new Yorian Taxes is it, it's really built to, to beat creature decks. Uh, you're talking about removal spells in that deck. I mean, if you look at the old Desert Taxes, they had four plows, right? But now they also have uh, the Evoke creature that plows. So they're up to eight plows in, in the 80 card deck. So they are really be uh, like uh, pre-boarded to beat that kind of deck. So it it should be able to deal with with plague engineers, even if they are two for ones or three for ones even uh, in that kind of deck. But I guess uh, like Death and Taxes have, has always had problem with those two particular decks, Aluren and Food Chain, because they are creature combos, right? So so if you untap and can jam your enchantment, the game is usually just over. But I also think that the, the adoption of Spirit of the Labyrinth as a 4-off is, is really good in that deck. And I think that's probably the best way to beat Aluren. Because I felt that when I was playing Standstill, that the best cards I could have was uh, like landing an R-set or landing a Teferi. Something that sort of uh, stops the value train <laughs> from going. Because the value train is what, what beats you in the end. Like you, you run out of answers and then comes the Aluren and then comes the, uh, the combo finish. I think that uh, Plague Engineer has been a little bit underplayed lately. I, I guess that black has not been that popular. But if I if I run a black deck now, I, I run three or even four Plague Engineers in that deck, I think, because it's a, it's a free win against decks like Elves or Goblins. And those kind of decks, as well as the new Yorian Taxes, can be really problematic. So I would definitely run such a strong sideboard card. Yeah, for sure. The second match... Uh, was against uh, Urabin and on standstill. And I, I, the Aluren standstill matchup has never felt scarier for me. And it it has to do with the amount of value that the deck has gone down to. Because recently, you know, cracking the opponent's standstill, uh, you're, all, you're always trying to get some value with the cards that you're playing, like a Shardless Agent into more value. You're putting things on the table that prevents your opponent from playing standstill. But cracking your your standstills now feels a lot more relevant because, you know, I'm playing a Living Wish package. Uh, you know, if I wish for something and that thing gets countered, it feels terrible. This, this version plays the full playset of Aluren which also, you know, is quite weak to counter spells. And you're not really getting the same amount of card advantage that you used to in this deck. So the standstill deck, which 
really can hammer on the card advantage side in the matchup. They are now the value deck and you are kind of a combo deck, but you're not like the traditional combo deck, like reanimator or something that really pressures the opponent to do something fast. You're trying to do it quite slowly anyways. And this is for, for me, the scariest uh, the matchup has ever been probably. So yeah, the two cards that was really good in this matchup was Grist and Endurance. You can sneak an Endurance in if your opponent is like uh, trying to play a standstill or trying to put a Shark Typhoon or something on the top of, the, of your library. You can get an Endurance in there, which is a quite nice body, but also just prohibits or like messes up with some, some math or something like that. If you're relying on getting a blocker or something, the endurances can be really good. But the real player is Grist. Uh, tell us about Gr uh, Grist, Robin, in this matchup. I mean, it, if you play a deck with hardly any creatures, it's uh, it's a pain to remove it. That's that's like the biggest problem. Like, uh, you have so few creatures that can actually attack it, and the first creature is usually going to die to a, a Strix or a, or a Quattel. So Grist backed up... Or a Grist Minus. Yeah, or, or Grist Minus on, on a Birds of Paradise or something like that. So it's easy to protect in that deck uh, versus a deck with hardly any threats. And and that's like the like, like that's an old truth when it comes to control decks, that Planeswalkers are really hard to deal with for control decks. Uh, so I've been thinking about uh, the configuration in the deck. Maybe the NAR sets, for instance, should be hull breachers, just to have another flash threat that you can uh, that you can put into play and, and pressure pressure planeswalkers. Because that slot in the deck with NAR sets is mainly against control decks. It's like an anti-control card. So maybe it should also be a, a hull breacher. Yeah, that that could make a lot of sense. I think I I do like the NAR sets now because I think that effect might be. What I'm looking for, you know, it, it finds the Shark Typhoons, it finds uh, a Teferi or a, a Sweeper. Uh, and I, I, I do enjoy that. But also, I have been gotten got by, uh, <laughs> by Hull Breachers in my days. And uh, it's definitely a powerful card uh, against a lot, of, a lot of decks in general. But yeah, so that was my, my magic week. Victor, would you like to tell us about your magical card we're swinging? Yeah, of course. Uh, as has been said, I sleeved up uh, a stock list I did of Yorian Death and Taxes now that all of the cards for this deck finally arrived in my mailbox. And uh, as we said before, if I was to summarize my evening in one sentence, it would be perhaps to sort of ban Plague Engineer. But then again, of course, I don't want to do that because I think the card is actually fairly all right. So the first game uh, was against Alurin. We've discussed that quite a bit already. I mean, I can also blame my 0-3 record against Christopher on that I did bring a stock list because I wanted to try out how this deck felt. However, I can say that showing up in Stockholm with a stock list that does not include Edisworn, Canonist or Phyrexian Revoker uh, was not the correct decision. Uh, I mean, I wanted to test a NetText version to get a feel of how it feels and then start to tinker with it. And uh, Canonist and Revoker uh, are probably going to be in this 95 henceforth, uh, specifically also because this is a Recruiter of the Guard deck and they fit really well in there. In match two, uh, I faced a sort of a Yorion mirror, but my opponent was on an Esper Blink 
deck with soul herders and teferis and all kinds of shenanigans going on. And this match I basically won with my equipment. Kaldra complete leading the vanguard. And regarding Kaldra, this was my first time I actually got to physically play with the card. Of course, it's been a, had a big debate in the DNT community when it was released. And I have now the same sort of aggressive lore opposition against this card I've had against Batterskull. Like, you know, what is a germ doing in this construct artifact weird thing this is ugly how does this come about but at the same time i love it because you get to play battle cruiser magic both with battle skull and with caldra and now you have a deck where you can play both and i almost actually equipped both in one germ at one point in this match but it's, this also gives me sort of wet dreams about mirror and crusader in this 95 uh, I mean, I really have in the tournament uh, at Gothcom, the Gothenburg famous convention uh, a couple of years ago in a legacy tournament, I won against Elves, uh, which of course by then, and I think probably still is a horrible D&T matchup. I won with a Batter Skull and a Mirror and Crusader swinging for a lot of damage every turn. And my opponent was just sitting there sort of, you know, tears welling up in their eyes. Uh, so I need to try that. Uh, then again, uh, I think perhaps... The dress downs of the legacy paper world currently might invalidate my plans to to make that as sweet as it is in my dreams. But uh, we'll see. I mean, to summarize, I, I really think the, 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 the only problem with the deck, of course, is that it's uh, a handful to shuffle uh, an 80 card deck. But then again, I've played an 80 card deck a lot with my Rector Fits, so I have some dexterity practice. And uh, I look forward to, to keep on doing that. I, I, I definitely like the Mirren Crusader part and the, the small story there. And now it's actually story time for... I, I rarely play white, like ever. But at the pre-release, or it was... Yeah, it was a release. We played Sealed when uh, the like Scars of Mirrodin uh, set was out. And I think this was the last one of the in the set, in the block. Euphorexia. Yeah, Neuphorexia. So you got one booster of... Uh, I, c I can't remember if... I think it was maybe two boosters of each. Two Scars, two Mirrored in Besieged, and Neuphorexia. And I played Mono White. And I had Mirren Crusader, Phyrexia Metamorph, Hero Blade Hold, and Batterskull. And this was at the release. And I equipped my Mirren Crusader with Batterskull twice. Uh, once against a, a mono green infect player and that was a lot of fun wow that's perfectly insane yeah wow <laughs> with the whole germ thing uh, last week you said that uh, we needed some you know wrestling uh, wrestling uh, intros uh, music wise and when you do the battle cruiser thing with battles uh, battle skull or caldra complete the song i pick for you is a swedish uh, like sweetheart for a lot of people which is Övningsköra by Slagsmålsklubben which is test driving in Swedish and it's just like I imagine when you cruise up that little germ it's getting its license it's getting in there maybe not perf parking perfectly but it's hitting the opponents <laughs> while trying Well, 
well regarding breeding new life into older archetypes uh, with new cards as well as cards that can perhaps be looked at again now that we've had a couple of years of powerful printings bannings etc etc there might be sleepers here uh, christopher i'd like you to start off this segment yeah so like i'm a really big fan of seeing cards that have been playable but have fallen out of favor maybe they're not powerful enough or uh, you know they had a lot of potential during previous season but just didn't quite get there and a card that i used to play with a bit and brew uh, a couple of years ago uh, which actually funny coincidence uh, happened to be last innistrad is a thing in the ice and I remember playing a lot of different brews with this card. You know, most included like Cabal Therapy, Deathrite Shaman, Young Pyromancer, Probe, and Snapcast Image, which you know, <laughs> some cards on that list might not be legal now. But uh, the deck was quite sweet. It had quite the tough meta to play around with. You know, it had Grixis Delver, Sheck Pile, Top Miracles. I think even uh, uh, dig through time uh, omniscience like omnitel uh, might have been a part of that meta for a while but the reason why i bring up thing in the ice is due to the interaction that i've been seeing popping up in different formats i'm not sure if i've seen it that much in legacy yet but i've seen it in modern and vintage <laughs> and it involves dress down which together with thing in the ice lets your frozen fish soup enter the battlefield nearly fought out so it's, it's one of those moments where you remember to put it out of the freezer the evening before you go <laughs> go to work. So Thing the Ice, entering the battlefield without any ice counters on it. Uh, you're just one instant or sorcery away from getting your tender, hot, hot fish soup ready to swing for seven, while also bouncing all of the other creatures in play, or non-horror creatures. Shout out Spellskite. Say what you will again about this interaction, but it's some gourmet shit. It's all I want to say. It's, it's the coffee in Pulp Fiction. It's some gourmet shit. You know how good it is. And I want I want to try this out, perhaps with Sedgemore Witch. And who knows what other cards. But it's some very spicy, you know, right-off-the-bone recipes uh, that this can be very good with. So have you guys uh, any thoughts about this interaction? I mean, it's interesting for sure. Uh, and Thing in the Ice, ever since we saw it first, and I've played in, uh, I still played Modern uh, a bit when Thing in the Ice was uh, introduced into that format and it did make some some headway. I think it's a card that I guess sh shares a characteristic with Grist that we've talked about in other earlier episodes that there maybe is a very high ceiling here that needs to be explored. Of course, this ceiling becomes, or you reach sort of closer to that sort of higher ceiling if you play against a creature deck i guess but then again in legacy right now there seems to be quite a bit of creatures going on i mean in in blue red delver well blue red tempo i guess now <laughs> there are quite a few creatures in um, green white uh, maverick uh, depths quite a few creatures in Aluren in stockholm quite a few creatures so yeah Go ahead and, and try that. I think that would be interesting. I mean, because either it could be really good or it's just sort of... My fear might be that sometimes you find yourself with a thing in dice that sort of doesn't do anything. But it's still, you know, as you said, it smashes in for seven. Yeah, I think that uh, Dress Down has, uh, has been a card that has been uh, like seeing more and more play the more time has gone by since the printing of it. And I think it was 
sort of discovered in in a Stifle Note shell. Like, I mean, it was a very apparent addition to that sort of deck. But then when people started trying that out, they found out that Dresden was such a good card on its own and pulling a lot of work even without the, the Dreadnoughts. And I actually think that's how the, the Ragavan uh, standstill uh, Ursa Saga deck came about. Uh, it was originally a, a Dreadnought deck where you tutored up your your Dreadnought with the Ursa Saga <laughs> and then you stifle it. And then there was a little, little bit of uh, standstill interaction there. So I think uh, like from experimenting with that card, I think it was not really looked upon in decks that could not use it as a combo card but uh, when being played as a combo card sort of players saw its potential in 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 other shell and just the raw power of that card i think it's my favorite card from modern horizons 2 it's it's for sure the card that i underestimated the most Uh, when i when i saw it first uh, in constructed play i was you know excited because uh, it's a very unique card in some sense you know it cantrips and it just removes abilities and it's it's quite sweet but the more i've seen it in certain decks you know to deal with constructs like you mentioned uh, when we played uh, alderan versus uh, standstill you got into this extremely annoying hall, hall of heliod's uh, generosity uh, dress down loop which just prevents me from comboing uh, until i drew the second harpy with Uro, which forced some other things to happen. Yeah, I mean, it has so many applications. If you think about, I mean, in, a, in the Luren uh, matchup, uh, I, I think I sort of uh, wasted it on, on Uros. You should just hold it for for your, your pay of spells and, and try to to interfere with the combo since it, it uh, prevents you from winning. But uh, against the Doomsday and against Food Chain, like a, a Ballista <laughs> uh, doesn't really work. Uh, it, it does so much. And and also just like uh, turning combat math uh, in a little bit different way. For instance, versus uh, Texas, you can play it against the Spirit of the Labyrinth. And uh, it enters the battlefield, removes Spirit of the Labyrinth's uh, ability so you can draw a card from the cantrip uh, <laughs> and uh, just removes like first strike from Natalia can be powerful and, and uh, play it in response to Stoneforge Mystic. It has so many applications that are really strong. So uh, when it comes to you know uh, new cards in older shells or you know some some decks getting revitalized, have you guys? experienced some of that recently i mean i would say that in every set there's always this like oh here is a potential white card for death and taxes that's printed and then everyone's sort of like oh wow this three mana griffin is gonna wreck the house and then no one plays it because it turns out to be huh. and uh, phil gallagher made a really interesting um, note on uh, brightling in the latest episode of uh, eternal glory where he said that Brightling was super powerful for this one hot two-week minute. <laughs> and then something happened that made the metagame shift and it was sort of borderless unplayable ever since. Uh, and it is still sort of, uh, compared to other cards that you have, borderless unplayable. And that for Death and Taxes has been a usual thing. Like, we get this printing, it's cool, but it doesn't really sort of make the make the deck tick. I would say that in these last... I guess, year. The printings of uh, Skyclear Apparition, Yorion, Solitude, 
it does uh, give some real actual change to how this deck works. There are some other cards as well that people are, are, are tinkering with. And the deck looks different now than it used to. So the deck clearly has changed uh, for the better, I would say. Then, of course, the invention or the reinvention of the deck is, is a collective effort because, as I said before, every Dentaxis player looks at all the white cards that comes around, which are sort of three mana value lower creatures that do something on ETB or has some powerful sort of passive effect. And then you just sort of try that. And the inclusion of Skyclave Apparition was, of course, a no-brainer. It has more been a discussion of exactly how good is it going to be. And it turns out that you want to play virtually as many copies as you can possibly jam into the deck because it's it's really great previous all-stars such as uh, council's judgment now it's sort of perhaps a one-off in the sideboard i mean you you're not really scared of true name anymore you got caldras complete uh, it's you have things to to deal with uh, true name or race it and it's not even that prevalent in the in the metagame right now and I think you touched upon something that I really like with Death and Taxes, and it's something that I usually bash on white decks, but one of the things that I really have to credit Death and Taxes with, it's how versatile it can be built. I've seen, like the last, uh, during whole of, like the whole of lockdown, I've seen so many different cool builds with it. I've seen, you know, what, we, what looks like the 2015 onwards Death and Taxes, but I've also seen aspirant like luminarch's aspirant builds uh, which is a lot more aggressive which was very cool and i think uh, might have been maybe a bit underplayed during oko because oko you saw a lot of plague engineers and you saw a lot of okos <laughs> big shocker there but now you're seeing you know um, some still very tight 60 card death and taxes lists which how how well you can tweak the list for your meta like uh, Victor said, he he played a stock list. If he would have played a list only to beat me up, he would have. That's the power of different taxes. And, you know, with Caldra Complete, uh, I really enjoy the, uh, you know, gear shift. If we're going back to the test driving uh, analogy, I really like what uh, how the deck can just gear up in speed and present this really unstoppable threat that... I don't really think the deck has had before. Closest might be Batter Skull or uh, equipped sort of Fire Nice, but it's it it has so many avenues now. So I really like it's it's definitely transformed. Well, uh, as we mentioned last week, we're also looking forward to new deck thoughts popping up in our heads once Innistrad Midnight Hunt has been spoiled, uh, but we're not there yet. Uh, hopefully we can incorporate some of the collective wisdom that we have just uh, hopefully gained in uh, this previous discussion. But now it is our time for the Basic Land Connoisseur panel to sit down and discuss another deck. And this week... We will tackle perhaps the worst kept secret good deck in Legacy until Modern Horizons 2 took it away from us, Blue Black Ninjas. Robbins, please take us away on this one. Alright, uh, Ninjas is a really cool deck and uh, for me Ninjas is the retrofitter foundry deck. It's not a Ninja deck. <laughs> 
because that's that's where sort of this card was discovered or the the technology of the retrofitter foundry was introduced into legacy and now it's a it's a, a strong card in 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 many kind of decks especially maybe ursa decks that can tutor it up but uh, I looked at this deck and was thinking about Retrofitter Foundry, uh, which have this sort of goldy Kaladesh invention look at it. I was actually surprised that it was not printed in one of those sets, uh, as it was a Commander 2018 card. But uh, so I was looking at the Kaladesh lands for uh, Ninjas. I, I picked the island that I thought was most beautiful here. Uh, from Kaladesh, uh, it is Johannes Voss number 255. But I was also thinking about those other islands that are more yellowish, because that sort of color fits very well with the Retrofitter Foundry. But I thought this sort of marsh-looking island was was the, or maybe it's an archipelago. I don't know, but it it, it was really nice looking. And uh, to couple that, uh, I picked. A swamp from the same uh, set, painted by Adam Paquette. It's number two hundred and fifty-eight. Yeah, I really like these uh, these uh, choices, and like, yeah, this is a Adam Paquette appreciation podcast. Uh, both of you really love his art, and I've started to soften up a bit as well to this. And I really like that you picked Kaladesh with the story because I think servo tokens are from Kaladesh, and that's the first step of the, the chain up to the construct. But yeah, I, I haven't really paid attention to the island that you picked, and that's a beautiful island, actually. I really like it. I, I, I don't think I've paid any attention to it, and this is definitely something I might pick up a copy of too. Yeah, I'm the same. I haven't, I haven't really looked at Kaladesh basics at all before, I just realized, but I think looking at these two, the art direction is great. I'm going to have to look at the rest of the Kaladesh basics to see if I can use them somewhere else because both of these lands are gorgeous. Really, really gorgeous. They tell stories, both of them, in very different ways. I mean, in the, in the swamp, there is this sort of bluish vortex going on in the sky that you just sort of, ooh, is this the Kaladesh electric stuff flowing over the swamp, reflected also in the in the river that flows through the swamp. No, this is, um, these are great. Yeah, and that vortex is, is, is in the island picture as well, although it's a little bit softer there. So there's a theme. So what about you, Christopher? I went a bit uh, predictable this time, and maybe not the super most inspired uh, way, but I have played this, this deck quite a bit, uh, even before the uh, Commander Ninjutsu. Uh, was uh, released with uh, Anna. I can't remember its name. The one free that made the deck pretty pretty playable. Uh, but I did play the deck a bit before that. I'm thinking about uh, the legendary that flips the top card and deals damage to each opponent uh, for the converted mana cost. But I've played the, the deck a bit, and I really enjoy the APEC lands, uh, both Japan, the island, and the swamp are both both just really beautiful and i think they give off a really nice vibe uh, if you're not into that or if they are perhaps a bit too expensive uh, like robin with the servo tokens you could go back to the roots of ninjutsu and play the panorama of uh, nice basics uh, both the islands and 
swamps are really pretty in the set and it looks like you know the first set it featured some rat ninjas and uh, the blue lands they uh, it looks like a place you know in an anime where you see a ninja just run out from one of these buildings close to the waterfalls and just run on the waterfall towards whatever fight they're getting into and these are just really moody it plays a lot of basics so you can definitely fit a lot of these in and have like a panoramic view when you're dealing damage to the opponent yeah, doesn't they actually play for basic swamps in that deck uh, i'm not sure i think i played two or three maybe three but yeah it, it i mean you could go almost full full basic uh, because the deck has very few mana problems in my opinion yeah, I've seen a couple of lists with uh, four of each basic. And there are, of course, four lands in these Kamigawa panoramas, so that works out. Very nice. I think the, the ninja we was looking for is Yuriko the Tiger's Shadow. What about you, Victor? What have you chosen for basic lands? Well, I went, uh, instead of the servo lore route, which I pretty much uh, agree with probably was the better route, I went with the ninja uh, route. And I was thinking, sort of, ninjas in magic, where would they be? And I think they would be in Dimir, uh, the guild in Ravnica, which deals with sort of secrets and killing people uh, in secret and taking their secret papers and selling them in secret meetings. Um, seems very ninja to me. So I wanted to find a uh, island and swamp from uh, any of the Ravnica sets. Uh, and I went for the most recent ones. Uh, because I think, uh, again, uh, I think it's a testimony to that the, the land art sort of generally just gets better. Like, it's really an, an, an art direction of magic that sort of is improved on a lot. Even though, of course, we have some older, real old stars among the lands. A high, high proportion of the newer land arts in magic is just great. So, for the island, I went for Guilds of Ravnica, card 261, by Richard Wright, uh, which is sort of an over an overlooking view of a city that kind of floats. Uh, so parts of Ravica that is uh, floating in the air, uh, which of course is a blue blue way of, of building a city, is to sort of build it midair among the clouds. Uh, but it's very dark. It's a very dark blue uh, island, which I think fits the Dimir uh, feel. Uh, and of course ninjas operate at night, so they can run these lots of bridges between these buildings that they can sort of creep under and sort of hide on pillars and stuff. And then the Swamp uh, is from Ravnica Allegiance, card 262. Uh, basic land connoisseur panel all-star Adam Paquette making his second feature in this episode. And this is a Swamp on the ground. It's uh, So the island is an overview and in this Swamp you sort of instead look up from under the sewers up on the city. So there are these two different interplaying views of uh, where you are situated as this as the ninja you are right now. So if the island one is sort of running over bridges, sneaking up on high towers, this is uh, basically hiding in the sewers, uh, going close to the ground in alleyways and uh, dense, dark spaces uh, where there are rats and other sort of leftovers from uh, the latest Golgari experiments. And I also think that really fits the Demir ninja theme. So... Those are my choices. Maybe in the future they will uh, have a, like a, a collab with Ninja Turtles. And there will be a turtle ninja who dwells in the sewer eating pizza. Yeah, I like the, the two different uh, perspectives. Because I think maybe unintentionally you picked a card that's uh, from bird view or bird perspective. And one from 
frog perspective or whatever it's called. So it's either, you know, the ornithopter getting through without blockers uh, in the blue one, or the changeling outcast that can't be blocked getting through from the ground. And that might be some unintentional, you know, like, uh, or it's just you're a mad genius. But this, uh, I really like it, uh, the what's hiding under that kale, like the, that kite sail up there. Oh, it's a ninja. And uh, yeah, I think it's accidental flavor win, perhaps, or mad genius land connoisseur. Yeah, I'm a big fan of, of choosing like the, the place where the creatures of the deck are dwelling. Uh, it's a really nice theme for the basic lands. So, well-picked lands, in my opinion. And that is all we have for this week. We really hope that you have enjoyed listening as much as we have enjoyed recording. And I mean it, recording these podcasts really is a lot of fun for us. Thank you for listening uh, all the way to the end, if you have. And you probably have if you are here. If you want to support this podcast in any way, our best way, uh, the best way you can help us is to recommend us to a paper-playing legacy friend so that we can get more people in on the content. And if someone wants to reach out to us, where can we be found, Robin? You can find me on Facebook. And Christopher? Yeah, you can find me at MonolithMTG on Twitter. And I am also on Twitter under Disco Drogo. And that is the end of the 13th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report. Thank you, Robin Svensson and Christopher Wikström. Our amazing music is written by Frönes. Check them out on Spotify. Until next time, no mind, no mind.